What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, of course, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? Today, Drew and I are heading into book 16 of the Dresden Files. We are going now into the slightly controversial, sort of controversial, peace talks. And um, I have been primed for a rather exciting episode to use that adjective. So let's just get right into it. <laughs> Drew, would you kindly sum up uh, Peace Talks for us? Sure. So Peace Talks, the much-anticipated 16th volume of the Dresden Files, drops two main stories in our laps. First, the Fulmore have requested a peace summit, and Marconi is hosting all the members of the Unseelie Accords in Chicago. For this, Harry has been assigned to the security detail of the White Council, and to act as a liaison between the Wizards and the Winter Court. Second, Thomas tries to assassinate Etri, the leader of the Svartalves, and is set to go on trial for breaking the Accords. With his life in danger, Harry and Lara must find out how to rescue him. Mixed in with this is a bunch of tension between Harry and Ebenezer, as Harry is unwilling to tell him that he has another grandson. As the peace talks start and tension mounts, Harry... Karen and Lara spring Thomas from Marconi's prison, but as they're making their escape, the Fulmore arrive, escorting Ethnew, the last Titan. She easily defeats Mab and announces that the Fulmore are going to destroy Chicago that night before she leaves with her guards. Harry and Lara, meanwhile, are rushing to save Thomas. Ebenezer confronts Harry on the docks and attempts to kill the crew of the Water Beetle, but Harry tricks him with an illusion and they escape to Demon Reach. Harry imprisons Thomas on the island, prompting Lara to attack him, but he defeats her and explains why he had to do it. The book closes with Chicago preparing for all-out war against the Fulmore. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the fastest summaries I've had in a while. Wow, you don't say. I wonder why that was. Couldn't be, like, you know, the hmm, shortest book of the Dresden Files. Is it the shortest book of the Dresden Files? Uh, it is not. Oh, wow. Uh, I believe I believe it's longer than uh, a couple of them. I think it's longer than Stormfront and Full Moon. Okay, um, definitely in that first third, though. Which, yeah, 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 yeah. It, that tracks. Where do we start with style this week? Where do we like? Where do we start? Is the question. Let's start with the background of this book. Okay, and this is you know so, I'm glad we're starting here because this is what I know the least about, and so I'm ready to learn the most right now. I don't. I just know there's a lot of controversy around it. Explain it to me. Yeah. So, obviously, I wasn't a fan of the Dresden Files, and uh, you know, I wasn't like involved in in the online discussions or, or wasn't really paying much attention to the announcements, but this book came out six years after skin games or skin game. Um, Damn. After, after butcher had been cranking out books, you know, like every year and uh, sometimes multiple books in a single year. And suddenly there's a six year gap. Uh, Jim butcher had uh, quite a lot of, upheaval in his life he got divorced he got remarried um mm. you know uh he he moved there there was a whole lot of stuff going on it, and he clearly didn't do a whole lot of writing lost momentum yeah okay and uh and so this book gets announced and i don't know if you've seen it rob but uh they did a trailer like a youtube video trailer for this book. No way. No, no, they yeah. no. Really? There's a YouTube trailer um, for a book? Yes. Let me What the fuck? Let me grab the link uh for you real quick. 
So yeah, I just sent you the link to the Peace Talks trailer. It's like two minutes long. God, should um, we watch it like, right here on air? Go for it. Okay, we're, Fired up. we're gonna take a two-minute break of no talking while Rob, while Rob watches this uh, trailer for Peace Talks. Actually, I'll narrate as I go through. Oh my God, there's actors. <laughs> Bro, that's like the clearly a wig, right? That's what the fuck am I watching right now? Bro, I'm not gonna lie, that looked like Lauren. Okay. Kind of like that transition with the staff, but okay. Oh, the kitty? Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> oh, with that McCoy. Oh my god, I have so many questions. Okay, <laughs> uh, book 16 of Dresden Files and followed by Battlegrounds. Okay, so they announced the two at the same time. So they didn't initially announce them both at the same time. Oh, there's still a little post. Um, there was, you know, like a, a press release and uh, Hang on, there's a post and scene. whatnot. Oh. Is that who's that singing to himself? Oh, it's the Spider-Man song. It's okay, got it. Alright, sorry, continue. <laughs> um yeah, so they, they did a press release, you know, in like December twenty nineteen announcing peace talks coming out in July. And then they did that trailer revealing Battleground as well. And, and, and there was some discussion about it, you know, uh, Jim Butcher basically said, uh, I had to split, I wrote this as one book and I had to split it into two books. It was too big to publish. Oh, okay. He that was like, was not the know, excuse, was it? That is indeed. He said too big to publish. Was. He wasn't like too big for the too series or something. Just too big to publish. The, yeah. They said it was too big to do in one volume. And so they had to split it into two. And that is bullshit. Uh-huh. Um, like, so so first off, this book was published by Ace Books. They're a you know a subsidiary of um uh Penguin Random House. They have an extensive framework. Ace is a little bit interesting because they like they still have like full editorial control. They have kind of their own like editorial structure, but they use Penguin Random House's um, like publication vendors, like their distribution footprint. They have all the tools to publish a 300,000 word book. And in fact, Peace Talks and Battleground together are under 300,000 words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like th- th- this is the same publishing infrastructure that did wise man's fear like a 420,000 word got you you know okay yeah bs total bs (laughs) um and and this book comes out and there is a lot of uh disgruntlement among the fandom for obvious reason this is not a complete book (laughs) this is this is not a good book like i'm sorry this is not a good book uh there are some cool things that happen in it but it it is just plain not a complete book, and like it, it is so obvious reading through this how he just padded this out. Like there, we're sixteen books in, and we're still getting multi-page sequences explaining the basic rules of the world that we've been told 
every single fucking Thank book. Thank you. Oh my fucking god. And that. and this is already a 110,000 word book. This is a really short book. And you're wasting page time explaining things your readers already know. And then on top of that, you know, we get we get this battle with the corner hounds early on, right? Uh where this is a pretty standard point in a Dresden file story where you're going to get a, an early action scene, right? You know, like we're going to you know, dust off the old blasting rod or, or whatever, and and we're gonna have some some action early on to get get the pace going. This action scene is nearly ten percent of the whole book. It is, it, it's just so so much filler. Like, I, I oh my gosh, I could not, I could not believe the the gall of of some of the choices in this book. Uh, it, it was such a blatant money grab, basically. It was a blatant money grab. Um, like, you could have easily chopped out 30% of this book and just combined it with Battleground. Easily. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I was really, really into it. Near the end, I was actually texting the entire group going, oh my god, this is my favorite book so far because I was so hyped for a couple of very specific things. But after finishing the book, even even like half an hour later, finishing the book after like five more chapters, I was like, why was I so excited just a, just a few <laughs> chapters ago? And I was texting you guys in the group saying, I'm sorry. I don't know why I was like so into it just an hour ago because you guys had had time to say, really? Why? That's a surprising reaction. And after another couple days now of, of talking to you guys about it, you guys are totally right. Like this book is, first off, I, I can't help but notice it's obviously, I mean, I was getting, I'm really glad I only got the audiobook this time. I did not pay for the actual physical. And after learning about all this controversy, I'm glad that I didn't give more money to it because even no, downloading the audiobook, I noticed it was like 12 hours as opposed to 17 or 18 like the other ones. I'm like, what is going yeah. on here? But yeah. It's so when I was doing my uh, my research before this episode, you know, looking back at the press releases and some of the conversations on on the Dresden subreddit and Tor.com and things like that, I noted in in the press release, it was a hardcover release, $28 for this book. $28 yeah. for like a 250-page book. Like, I wonder how... Oh, I'm going to check I, the audiobook price. For unbelievable. Oh, it's going to be more. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so like even beyond the real-world politics of this book, the... The actual writing of the book is just sloppy. Like, it scenes are really disjointed. Uh, there are so many just completely dropped threads that presumably, you know, I hope are are uh, picked back up in in Battleground. But like, we don't get a full story anywhere in this book. Like, there there's no full arc. There's no character de development to speak of. Like, it, it's. This is Act One. <laughs> the audiobook <laughs> and, is thirty dollars Canadian. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, it's actually yeah. less than I expected. Um, but yeah, but like, and then, and then, e even with all these things that Butcher's going back and and explaining for the five thousandth time, you know, like how thresholds work or, or how Harry's or how works goddamn or attractive like, Laura Rafe is. Yeah. Um. Even with that, he forgot what he wrote. So there's oh. there's like a. A, like a page long scene where Harry's going to the, the first, you know, party at, at the better future society castle. And he's going in and he's like, this is the first time I've ever been in here physically. You know, that ghost stuff doesn't count. And it's like, 
the one of the last scenes in Skin Game is Harry walking straight into the Better Future Society castle and confronting Marconi and Matt. Like he forgot oh. what he wrote. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because he was talking about what a dick. I think he was talking about it's what just, a dick Marconi was for building it there. Yeah, yeah. Like it's so sloppy. This book was just so sloppy. Huh. Uh, I didn't notice like, it, and, but after talking yeah, about I, it, I can see it. I'm just gonna say, like. There were multiple times uh, where I nearly just stopped reading uh, this series. This book was like multiple times just in this book. I nearly put it down and I was like, fuck this, I'm out. But, wow. <laughs> I didn't but, come but close I'm, to that I'm, ever. But I'm sticking through Battleground at least because I'm, you know, like we're doing it for the show. We're, you know, we're. Uh, it still gives us great but, content to talk about. That's the point of the show, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Oh my gosh! Oh. But this this story nearly okay. broke me. This book nearly. I broke wouldn't me. say I came anywhere close to dropping the story altogether here. Not like I was when I was super pissed off, you know, uh, with with Harry and Murphy constantly being uh, shoe or like not shoehorn actually spoke, you know, being being forced apart again and again and again. But in this book, I mean, by by book sixteen, I'm such a simple reader myself. I like that we have this balance between you and I. You're you're digging far more into the publishing and 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 the just the, even the intellectual aspects of of the craft of writing. I'm just here for reactions because I, I I think I represent a larger part of the fandom. That's why books like this are so successful. Um, no, I, sorry, I represent. I'm along with. I'm a simple guy. I read for the spectacle. Um, I wasn't too into it for the first 80% of the book, but then we got to that scene near the end with Ethnio's arrival, and we got the scene with Harry versus McCoy, and I'm just like, okay, this is this is cranked up so much, and these are both confrontations that are just big things. Like, I've wanted to see somebody really rise up and put Mab or the Summer Queens or even the, the, the Fairy Mothers in their place, some sort of big, big reveal like that, and McCoy versus Harry has been building up for a while. I'm just in it for the surface-level things, but after talking to you and talking to several others in the Discord... You guys, are, I, you guys make so many good points now, and I, I myself am not gonna give it. Say it's 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 a great book objectively either, regardless of how much I personally enjoyed it. At times, they were very specific times, and overall, I don't think I can say it's a particularly good book either. Yeah, like so. So that scene with Ethnew, yeah. right? Great chapter twenty nine. Yeah, like you know, the, that's a that's that's a big moment. You know, there's a a, a cool. It's a cool scene, right? Capital C, capital S, cool scene. <laughs> okay. But narratively, it's super unfulfilling because it just comes out of nowhere. We have never been given any, there's no groundwork laid for even the existence of Titans like this. Uh, like we, we, you know, it, it's, it's completely unlike many of his other twists where he, he goes out of his way, as does, you know, someone like Brandon Sanderson to lay breadcrumbs. And that, you know, it's a surprising reveal, but afterward you can look back and be like, oh, wow, yeah, I should have well, caught that. You Brandon know? Sanderson does and it competently, though. Like, yeah, well... Butcher, I find a lot is, of his twists Butcher just doesn't way ahead of time, and then do it, it at all. it's really unfulfilling for that reason, yeah. because I can... He, Butcher, for me, has a habit of overspelling things to the point of like, oh my god, can we get sure, this sure, reveal sure. already? I, for, for me, sure. this coming out of nowhere was far more effective. Oh, but it's it's like... Um, it's like he just pulled it out of his ass. Yeah, that's a little like, there, there were, then it's abrupt. Yeah. There were multiple things in this book that were ass pulls. Uh, Ethnew, for sure, mm -hmm. the big one. But Conjuritis. Dude, okay. I what was so angry about the way he handled Thank Conjuritis yes. in this book. It's like, 
like he goes out of his way almost to point out how sloppy his writing is being like, how has Harry never heard of this before? Everybody around him is like, how have you never heard of this before? Like, but everybody in the world knows what it is except for Harry. Makes you wonder. And it's because Jim Butcher didn't think of it until he was writing this book. Ah, yeah. Or maybe you think like Butcher learned something else very basic in his own life and wanted to like bring this out in Harry or something. It it was just, it was so frustrating going on with this. this Like it had no payoff. I so like, you know, uh, this, I, I do. I think this is going to be addressed in the next volume. I, it better be. Um, but like, it, it's it's just it's, this has no point. And, and of course, obviously, I want to dig into the actual name too. Um, itis. Oh, so does, bad. That, I mean, I don't yet have a medical uh, background, or but I, I have some basic Latin. Isn't isn't that suffix itis supposed to indicate something being inflamed? What is inflamed yes. here? Harry's conjuring, like. I don't know. Yeah, for for our listeners, I I have my face buried in my hand yeah. right now. Like, just it it it's so dumb. The the name, like seriously, seriously, <laughs> the name conjuritis. <laughs> so stupid. That sounds like something from a bad Harry Potter fan. No, dude. Yeah, like, sorry, fanfic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it just. Oh my goodness. All right, I want to. Since we're still bitching, I want to get my uh, my last style point bitching out of the way. And I very briefly mentioned this earlier. I'm hard, I'm tired of hearing this description of Lara Wraith, Lara, not Laura, Lara Wraith. Sorry, I, I realize I've been yep. mispronouncing it for a while. I don't know. I just feel like I get it already. Every time this woman enters a stage, Butcher needs to spend paragraph after paragraph describing everything about her in exhaustive detail, over and over and over and over again. S- like so many times that I find yeah, myself. Yeah. This might be an audiobook weakness because, you know, I did, you know, this happens on occasion in the middle of a long drawn out description of how seductive Lara is being here and then there and then there and then there. Our descriptions are getting ridiculous, too, because he spent he being butcher or Harry spent so many moments describing this woman in every way he possibly can that to avoid redundancy, he's got to reach for descriptions that just don't make sense anymore. In chapter 14, there's a moment where Lara Wraith is described (laughs) as deadly as a lioness and as beautiful as one. I think I'm fra- I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but that's, that's the gist of it. I needed to stop and write down, to, like, I'm pretty sure this woman is way more dangerous than a lioness, but okay, we'll roll with that one. And as beautiful. Dude, Harry spends every third <laughs> sentence of his inner dialogue gnashing his metaphorical teeth over how luscious and seductive this woman is. I don't know about you, Drew, but I haven't seen many big cats that hold up to that level of supernaturally seductive power of the white court. But I don't know. Okay, it's just every time she appears on page, I'm like, oh, here we go. I got a whole new page with every arch of her eyebrow, every curve of her leg, every smooth yeah, expanse yeah, of skin, Robin. every heated look. F***ing Christ, can we move on already? I'm done. Uh, I, I don't know if you knew this. I, I'm not sure if you picked up on it. It was really subtle. She has blue-black hair. Did you? Oh, yo, hey, did you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> every every damn time, her blue-black it's hair, almost her blue-black as hair. as Mark Cohen's like, faded dollar bill colored eyes. Uh, yeah, yeah, seriously. Like, and and here's the thing that really gets me with this. Like, there's so much wasted space in in this very short book, very breakneck paced book, where even with a breakneck pace, nothing really happens. Um, there's so much wasted space on redundant exposition, and then when he has the opportunity to actually go somewhere new, people just don't tell each other things for no fucking reason. Like, I oh, yeah. I straight up. The, his first conversation with Ebenezer, and he's talking about the Starborn and, and the 666 years. And and Harry's like, why? What's it for? What's coming? The old man shook his head. 
Lesson's over for tonight. I already said more than I should have. Yeah. And I, and I literally just highlighted that and said, fuck off. Butcher. Okay. Like, I might have the exact like note in here that says also fuck off. I'm pretty sure I had two fuck off butchers in my notes for this week. Yeah. Like, There's actually a fuck right just... off as well. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, so many things I highlighted where I'm like, this is just so tedious. Right there. Drew, I'm There's gonna, so I'm much padding. Zoom in and show, oh, shit. I can't zoom in on this. Ah, fuck, <laughs> but it, it's there. It's there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <sighs> All right. Maybe we should just go into characters. Are we are we still done with the style? Because we what are we going to talk about with characters? None of them changed. <laughs> I, I nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Well, one thing changed for Harry, although he didn't. Actually, sorry. One thing changed for him, although he didn't change around it at all that we can see. Um, Monaya, he's he's a father to two now, and we. We don't spend oh. an awful lot of time thinking about that second born, born for lack of a better term, do we? No, because it's another one of the completely dropped plot <laughs> like, threads. What's going book. on here? Yeah, <laughs> uh, Ebenezer McCoy. Should, can we can we talk about how a dick bag this guy is? And how it makes no sense the way he acts. In agree, this book? like fuck this guy, like legit. He's frustrated me in the past, but nowhere near the level to which he's pissing me off from the first scene of his in this book. Or maybe it's the second scene, since the first one was him talking, was in front of Maggie, I think. Um, but right out of the gate, yeah. he's treating Thomas like trash, which in some circumstances could be understandable only with his particular past until he loses that excuse by virtue of knowing Harry Dresden and needing to trust him for fuck's sake. Yeah. I was expecting we'd see some growth in an old man like McCoy for once, but he just gets more and more ridiculous and more willfully blind and ignorant as this, as this book goes on. I mean, I get it. He's known a few vampires. He can't claim to have known many, considering how much of his life he claims to have been fighting them, though. Maybe he should consider that, McCoy. But it, it just goes to completely shit all over his relationship with Harry, without even knowing the true extent of his daughter's story. Like him being, not Harry's daughter, but um, uh, Margaret, you know? Just hold a personal grudge against his trust in Harry Dresden of all people it just frustrates me he's supposed to be the most powerful wizard on earth and one of the wisest ever and we don't see a minute of that anywhere in this book yeah yeah I'm just uh. Marcone I, I, I want to talk up Marcone just for, just for 10 seconds he stole he stole my favorite scene in the book he completely stole that scene and he's the only mortal in that room I and loved that moment that he had. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, that was that was good. Anything scene. about Thomas? Could we just bitch when about he, Thomas he... being used again as a plot device rather than a character? Yeah, having yeah, being a character in any way, shape, or form. By the way, just calling it right now, Justine is the one who set up Thomas. Okay, explain that. I saw you explain it on Discord, but I want to give everybody listening a chance to hear your reasoning for yeah. that. What what makes you think that? So so multiple things. Um <clears throat> Uh, one of the big mysteries, again, just totally dropped midway through the book, but one of the big mysteries is, like, so savage. suddenly there's, like, <laughs> so many different groups of people watching Justine. And Harry's like, alright, we gotta figure out which one of these groups of people watching her is the one who's, like, who engineered this whole thing. Right? And it, th that's, like, the biggest red flag in the world, that none of them are responsible. She's the one. It's, it's uh, without spoiling anything, there's a similar type of mystery in uh, The Well of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson, where there's a mystery trying to figure out who done it, basically. And none of them Who's did the it. imposter? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And, like, 
and and the answer is the one person you're engineered to not suspect, you know? And uh, and this is the exact same literary device. Number two, every time uh, Thomas, like, talks, he's trying to say Justine's name. Oh. Number three. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a communications leak from inside house. I remember Faith, you saying that. And just and Justine used to be like Lara's like right hand like executive assistant. So those are the three things that have me convinced that Justine was the one who set up Thomas. You think a nemesis? I don't know. Hmm. I had that feeling about Ramirez. There again, there isn't there isn't enough time spent on this to have any idea of the motivations because there's, this is talked about in like three scenes and then just completely left by the wayside for the end of the book. Like there's so many freaking dropped plot lines. Hey, what a surprise. Thomas is in trouble again. (laughs) Thomas's life is in danger. (gasps) Really? Harry has to balance immediate family members, innocence and safety against bigger obligations to protecting the world. What a fucking change of direction. (laughs) <laughs> this isn't going to be our most savage review, even though we both finished the book and we won't. I don't think this book is as bad as uh, uh, Ruin of Kings. Ready Player One. I almost said Rage of Dragons again. Um, Ruin of uh, Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Hey, listen, I still like Ready Player One. I didn't. I'm not going to call it a good book again. I'm still not going to call it a good book, but I liked it. So I think Ready Player One's a better book than Peace Talks because it at least is a is a. Full story. Yeah, but it's it, it's a first <laughs> it's a first book of a, of a of a series. Of course, it has to be a full story. If Peace Talks came out like this as book one rather than book sixteen, that would be a lot closer to the mark. I don't think you can use that particular well, argument on well, in this case. Even though I agree, I don't think that's the right argument. No, I absolutely can use that argument. Like this book never should have been published in this shape. <laughs> like, mm. yeah, uh, but it still would still be because, dumber to publish as because book money. one in sixteen. Because money. Well, yeah, obviously, like, it never would have been published, period, if you tried to, like, have an incomplete book okay. one. But, yeah, like, I'm being pedantic there. But no, the, yeah. the, the point is, Ready Player One is a complete story. So, by virtue of that, even if it's a poorly written story with some really, really weird, <laughs> really weird stuff in it, yeah, it's better than this because this is incomplete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Never have I been more aware that I'm reading a serialized uh, format than I was during this book. Mm-hmm. Um, River Shoulders? Mm-hmm. Can we just talk about River Shoulders then? How much did you like this guy? I know you like this guy. Tell me you like this guy. Yeah, River Shoulders was cool. Dope, right? uh, one, uh, one, one bit that actually made me laugh out loud uh, when he's dancing. <laughs> uh, and he's just like holding her up in yeah, the yeah. air. <laughs> like her feet are just dangling and he's like doing a foxtrot I love I loved yeah. his um his rapport with listens to wind he just calls him that kid or whatever even the listens to wind is centuries yeah. old it's like he's, he even imitates listens to wind is like how old are you he's like many many moons you know he seems to crack wise all the time when he can, when he can so I want to say I have a feeling we'll see a lot more of these two Harry and and River shoulders together in action but then again we're almost at the end of the series by now and I did think that same thing. I don't know if anybody remembers, but I think it was like book nine or ten. I said the same thing about the Merlin. I was like, ah, he and Harry both like to crack wise here and on occasion. They might be a little more alike. Hopefully we see them together in the future. Never happened. So, but River Shoulders was, was a lot of fun. I want to see more of this guy. In fact, he's in uh, one of my honorable mentions, sh- uh, Sheen's scenes, which we'll get to soon. Okay. Yeah. Murphy. Anything about Murphy you want to say? Um... Is she irritate you in this one? Oh, she's she's so gonna die. She's so gonna <laughs> yeah, die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when she broke out the saw, I was like, oh, she's she gonna going die down. right now. 
and then nothing happened. She broke out the saw, and I was screaming <laughs> but at the book. I was like, Whoa. she's absolutely good. Like, she's gone into, like, supernatural war at, like, less than 50% mobility. She's going to die. Yeah. And Harry's <laughs> going to have another perfect and, reason to hate And Amy. we already got the narrative fulfillment of them consummating their love. So... Or, yeah. or or professing their love and like reaching that threshold where it burns Lara now, um, yeah, like she's so dead. She's so dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, when she started, when she she busted out that saw and started cutting off the uh, the the cast, I was pulling up my phone and and writing in all caps in for several sentences at a time. I won't repeat what I said because it was filth and it was a lot of uh, hate, but I was like, come on, Murphy. Why are you doing this? Butcher, why do you need to make Murphy this like obstinate and this clearly suicidal? Like she's turned in, she's turned into Susan from book four in that moment for me. She's like, huh? Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, Murphy, whatever. Uh, Ethnew, we already talked very, very briefly about Ethnew. Clearly has some Thanos vibes. Do you agree? Oh, you wait, you don't know, you're not a big fan of the MCU. No, I'm right? not a, yeah, not a Marvel guy. Um, I mean, like, I just, I know a little bit about like Celtic mythology of course, and the former Thanos was built up though. De Danon there was, yeah, and there was, yeah. Uh, but like, so with with Ethnew, like, I actually, I gotta say, I was surprised that they called her the last Titan because like. She's not a titan, like like in terms of the origin of that word. That that's specifically you know Greek. Okay, because I thought thing. Greek, and I was like, I've never heard of one yeah, named Ethnew. Uh, yeah, she's from Celtic. And then mythology. I looked that up and found and, that. Yeah, yeah, and but but it's like because people are humans are the way they are. We compare things that are unfamiliar with things that are that are familiar, and uh, Ethnew and and Baylor have often been called similar to titans in in terms of the role they play in in that uh mythological tradition mm -hmm. um, titan adjacent <laughs> yeah 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 like the and and there there's some parallels um between like the uh the formorians and the and now i'm friggin blanking on the name begins with a j uh it, from norse mythology god um like the Jotuns or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, they they fulfill like kind of a similar role in in Celtic okay. mythology as they do in Norse mythology. Um, you know, and so like I understand why why Butcher called her the last Titan. You know, like it's it's an easy way to assign meaning to this I character that he's done no absolutely idea. nothing to set up yeah. before this. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, that that was that was cool. But uh, she scared me though. I was. I've never at any point in this series have I been more tense listening or reading a single scene. It was really, really like like in the moment it was it was heavy as hell, but it didn't continue. We just kind of left that behind, <laughs> and then the book was done. And I'm yeah, I'm yeah. not listening to I'm not reading the physical book at this point. I'm listening to it, so I don't have this impending sense that I've heard of doom that I've heard described in the Discord chat with everyone else when they're like reaching the end of that physical book and they're realizing oh there's just that's it where we're not getting an ending to this i didn't have that because i was just you know, yeah. it's, it's a phone it's it's in my ear but yeah no i i came <laughs> out of i finished it with a far different opinion far different opinion than i had even just at the 90 percent mark so yeah 
Oh, I believe it. I had no idea there were any other Titans in folklore or you Titan adjacent or Titan equivalent, you know, but you know, I, I looked yeah, up yeah. when I got home and I was like, Oh, okay. But this scene with her, actually I'll be talking about it in favorite scenes because there aren't many favorite scenes, unfortunately, from which to draw um, for that segment today, but I'm done with characters. Uh, miscellaneous. <laughs> yeah. I got a couple of miscellaneous points. Um, uh, so, Again, like just one of those really obvious things where Jim Butcher like discovered a new a new term. Okay. Toot sweet. Oh. Didn't he, notice. He's never used that that expression in fifteen books before this, and then he uses it like twice in, in the span of three chapters. I didn't notice. <laughs> I was like, oh well he, he just learned what that means. <laughs> like <laughs> Cool. Cool. Okay. I didn't notice that at all. Um, um yeah, these are just, I, I'll always call them Donaldsonisms because that's, I feel like Stephen R. Donaldson is like the poster boy for making it really obvious when he learns a new <laughs> word where like you're, you, you've like read a couple of books and he's never used this word and then he suddenly uses it like 15 times in, in one yeah, book. Yeah. You're like, you're like, oh, okay. Well, I guess, I guess Stephen R. Donaldson learned the word frisson sometime between writing Forbidden Knowledge and A Dark and Hungry God Arises. Like, you I know. love that you can bring the exact title and the exact book to mind, or the exact yeah, word like, to mind as well. And you know exactly what I'm oh, talking I, about. I was now. there. Like, I was there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. But, um, yeah, so those things always jump out at me where I'm like... That's why you would make... A, like, uh, you've never used this before, and now you're using it multiple yeah. times in a short That's span. why you would make a far like, better editor than I Sometimes then this is honestly, this is one of the few books that has managed to do this to me since I started reading, you know, and for the podcast and talking to Drew McCaffrey on a very regular basis. Not many books anymore can bring me so out of my objective mindset that I don't realize how bad it is in the moment until I'm stepping out of it. This book though, did do that for me. I'm sure yeah. I'm going to get a few yeah. comments saying like, what, why are you on this book so much? You said in the discord, you freaked out over how it was your favorite one so far. I'm like, yeah, that was a very objective <laughs> Uh, uh, single in the moment thing to say, but that was no. That's why I wouldn't make a great editor. Subject. I, I sometimes do get lost. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. You know, beta reading and, and editing for for books. So yeah, I'm used to this kind of thing. <laughs> um, there was this Drew. There was, there was this hilarious moment near the beginning when when Mab and Lara show up together and they're talking about Mab's three favors for for Lara. Oh, maybe it was Harry's three favors. One of somebody owes somebody three favors, and and there was one that agreed yeah. to that was there was a mention that was like already done agreed to and these other two are open. And I remembered in this moment I had this this ghost of realization. Drew, I remembered how you mentioned more than once how you would love to see some sort of forced contractual union between Lara and Harry. Just for the sheer funny oh, yeah, factor, and that kind of that. forced political thing, and I was remembering that <laughs> in this moment when they're talking about three favors that Mab owes Lara, and I was like, "No fucking way is that going to happen, Drew? You did not fucking just well, they, guess that." They already, they already finished the favors. Yeah. So Mab had already given her one, and then she had Harry do two. In, in That's what I thought. Book, Mab, so Mab I, had I given her one was yeah, like the promise yeah. that she would send her knight to do that, or something like that. Like. I don't know. Yeah. But I was like, no, but wait, did you just guess that? I freaked out. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. That was like, that was back at like what? Book five? No, I think it was like book, book nine. Book six? Pretty sure it was book nine. That was. Because they did a lot of, um, we were talking about how much you love their, uh, well, their rapport and their chemistry. No, no, it was definitely blood rights. It was book six because uh, I said my favorite scene in that book was when they have breakfast together yeah. on the patio. Oh, out back I think you Chateau referenced Rafe. that again in book nine. You were definitely mentioned this no, more than once, be, but yeah. you're right. You might have originally said it in book six. Yeah. yeah. 
I totally forgot about that until just now. <laughs> See, I am paying yeah, attention unfortunately, sometimes. Unfortunately, I think that uh, that that ship sailed. Yeah. Uh, I think all the uh, favors are done. <laughs> we got another reference to Mister at the beginning of this book, and I had to stop and ask him, just how old is this cat, though? He's He's been an adult since the beginning, since Stormfront, mm-hmm. right? And it's been at least yeah. 16 years in world since then? Um, I don't know. I get the sense that it's still sure. an average of a year in between, even though obviously it isn't always. Sometimes it's just a couple months, and sometimes I think it's more than it's been more than a year in some cases. So I know this one. It was, I think, skin game was in the spring, right? And this is like late summer. Yeah. Okay. Like this is the same year as skin game. Ah, so this is this is really but, close. Yeah. But there's for sure been at least at least like two or three years since changes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Maggie's, what, 10 now or something? 9 or 10? And she was, like, 4 <laughs> in that book? She's at least 8. I mean, think about it this way. Molly was, like, 12 or 13 at the start of the series, right? And now she's, like, in her mm- mid to yeah. late 20s. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's an old cat. So yeah, Mister's an old cat. over a decade. Yeah, very old cat. Um, see here. Sonya's prank? What'd you think of that? <laughs> Sanya. Uh, um, it was fine. Um, I, that was another one of the scenes that I nearly stopped reading the book. Oh? Um, uh, I, I was like, this is such a waste of page space. Uh, like, what is the point <laughs> of this? This is so it's dumb. A, and, then, yeah. and then he, he gave it a point at the end where, where you, you get the, the discussion about how... Um, how the swords work and, and like magical right. it leads into conservation that rule. of energy and yeah and, and I was like okay at least we got like a little something of value out of it but like why did we just need to spend 10 pages on on Butters and and Sonya fake dueling in the backyard like ugh. I kind of liked it it's kind of, honestly it's because, it's because it's it's the kind of morbid humor that we get away with when we're we, a bunch of guys will sometimes get away with when they're like stuck together in a shop you know <laughs> in a dirty yeah, metal I mean, shop like the the prank the prank whatever yeah like that's, yeah, that's I enjoyed it just very, for its prankness yeah. not for like yeah. it's uh, but, objective but place. that scene was just so unnecessary yeah. like like there were so many times in this book where he he just took took like five to ten percent of his page space. To go do something that has absolutely nothing to do with the greater conflict of the book. Does nothing to advance the plot. Does nothing to change the characters. Like the whole corner... I I, I swear to God, that corner hounds <laughs> fight sequence was the most tedious bullshit. Oh, God. I didn't feel like, that way that harshly about it. Although I do have one complaint about it. Uh, or just a question. Maybe I just missed something. Because it's something that doesn't seem to make sense about the corner hounds. Okay. Because it's like the whole the whole thing is like, oh look, the outsiders are attacking, and then, and then the f- there's nothing else with the outsiders of the rest of the book. Like, Cornerhounds <laughs> were outsiders. That was what I. That was the impression oh, I. You're got right. You're totally scene. right. Is it? They explicitly said that. I just forgot about that. Yeah, it was totally like somebody somebody you're got right. through the gates and was summoning outsiders. Well, yeah. That's right. They were outsiders. I just totally forgot about that threat. You're totally right. I think that yeah. goes to show again. Because yeah, and. Yeah, and when they when they actually capture somebody, they drag them That's right. outside, That's right. and, and Ebenezer doesn't I just know forgot what about that. Yeah, uh, here's the thing. Yeah. Here's here's my my issue with the corner house scene. Okay, <clears throat> I don't know if this is a continuity or maybe editing error. That wouldn't be the first, obviously. Um, Ebenezer at one point. 
tells Harry, because Harry tries to, like, banish one of them or something back to the outside. I don't know. But Ebenezer mm-hmm. tells him, you can't do that because they're all part of one entity, I think it was. Like, they're all the same individual. You have to banish all of them or none of them. It was something something wonky like that. But I stopped in that moment and went, didn't, didn't you just say a few minutes ago that, you know... Uh, like you fended, you fended off that first attack, and you heard more coming. And McCoy himself, in that moment, he curses, and he's like, "Damn, it's the whole pack!" I'm like, well, yeah, it would have to be, wouldn't it? I thought they were all part of one yeah. unit, isn't it? Didn't you just say they're all one unit two minutes later? Why can't Harry yeah. try banishing one at a time if they don't always stick together in the first place? <laughs> what do you mean? I didn't get that part. Uh, I'm telling you, like he he straight up forgot stuff that he wrote. But in the space like, of, t- of of three pages or less, <laughs> now we're not talking yeah. books later. I mean, we're talking yeah, that pages for later. Sure. Like, like these are things you know. Um, as a beta reader for Brandon Sanderson, like my God, did Jim Butcher need beta readers for this book? Like, hey, I'll offer. I don't like, have much experience, kind of, but I think I could do better yeah, than like, nothing. <laughs> God, like, I, as far as I know, he has like really, really small, like three or four people who who beta read. He his actually books, does but, have beta like, readers, obviously. What yeah, but, but his 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 beta readers do like they fulfill a different function than Brandon Sanderson's. Oh, okay, um, then I take that. They're they're more like they're more like um, I don't know how to put it. Like Brandon Sanderson uses his beta readers as kind of like a test audience with like um, extremely knowledgeable fans in as you know for, for like continuity and lore and stuff like that. Um, as I understand it. Jim Butcher does not use his beta readers for that. Uh, but you're right. Like, that should have been caught in in. Edits. If, if like, there's no, like, in-world reason that I just didn't pick up on. Like, I, there are several times I've had a question, and either you tell me how, oh, no, it's, it's something like this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Or someone else, <clears throat> later I'll get a Discord message and someone else will explain it to me. I was just, I could have been wrong there, so I didn't want to say, hey, it's definitely an error. I just had a question. No, like, that's that's at least the kind of thing. Like, if this were a Brandon Sanderson book, and he had that scene. That's the kind of thing I would ask there. as a beta reader. People, people would point it out and be like, in in the beta spreadsheet, we'd be like, uh, is this a continuity error or like, or is this fine? If it's fine, you need to explain it. Mm. You know, like you need to you need to let us know why Ebenezer would say these two seemingly conflicting things. Yeah. <clears throat> you know. Yeah, I always have to approach uh, it as like maybe I'm making a mistake though, but. <laughs> um, uh, my last miscellaneous point. This is gonna piss. Uh, this might piss off more people objectively than anything else I've said today. Everyone likes pancakes. Oh God! Uh, do they though? <laughs> do they? Do they really? Just need to ask that question because uh, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> okay, um, I'm ready to go to favorite scenes. Anything else miscellaneous you want to get out of the way? No, let's let's just get this okay. over with. <laughs> God, man, you really, really did not like this book. No, I did I, not. I still, I still liked it all the way through, but I, I can see why it's objectively not a good book. I like, I gave this two out of five stars on Goodreads, and I think I may have just talked myself down to one. Yeah, star. wow. Yeah, I came out of the honestly in the in the middle of the the my favorite scene that I'm going to be talking about in a minute. I was honestly giving this I was like this is a nine point two. This this is this is a my favorite book of this series so far. And I know I say that every time I finish one of these books, I'm going to have to defend that. But that was during a very specific scene. And leaving the book now, and especially after all this talking, I would not rate it that high. Although for my personal enjoyment, I still I'm going to reread it a few times. But mm, it's got some problems. It's got some problems. Oh, okay. Okay, favorite scenes. Well, 
Should I start with my? I'll start yeah. my honorable mention then. Um, River Shoulders. You have honorable mentions. Yeah, I had one. Come on, Jeez. now I had, I just talked about how much I still like the book despite it being objectively a bad book. So I have to back that up. All right. Introduction all right. to River Shoulders. That's my honorable mention. So just interesting world building, you know, about him and his people, and that whole back and forth with Listens to Wind and ah, and how it came back later during the uh, the climactic or lack of climactic scene in this book. I like River Shoulders. He's a dope guy. So cool. I'll go with my third favorite then, yeah. since you don't have an honorable mention. Yeah. yeah Maggie nodded to me several times and then said very seriously, you're a little scary sometimes. You should know that. Regular dads don't say things like this. I tried to smile at her, but my eyes got all blurry. She hugged me tight and said, I'd rather have you making me pancakes. Me too, I said. I kissed her hair. You know, and then she tells him to make things right, or he says he wants to make things right. Uh, chapter nine, this is, I have the quote here. Make things right, I asked. Where did you learn that one? From Mr. Carpenter, she said. He's, he says, making things right is the first and last thing you should do every day. And that it's what you do, always try to do. Wow, I said, an expert on that stuff. He says, you are, Maggie said, that you're a good man, one of the best he knows. And then Harry gets tears in his eyes hearing that. Hearing those words from someone like his daughter, who herself would have heard that from someone like Michael Carpenter, has to mean so fucking much for Harry Dresden in this moment. So I had to I had to at least include that in the favorite scenes. So Okay. Third favorite. Do you have any? Uh, nope. <laughs> I have I have one scene that I'm gonna talk about. <laughs> Fuck, man. Okay. Number two then, the build up to the Ebenezer McCoy and Harry Dresden fight. I was already, and I bitched about it earlier, obviously, at length, frustrated at McCoy for his insane levels of stubborn bigotry in this book on top of the previous 10-plus books since we've since we've met him to wonder how Harry really stacks up against his mentor in an honest 1v1. So between those two things, how pissed off I was here and how much time I've had to wonder about a throwdown between these two. I mean, the fight itself was exciting, of course, but that's not really what I liked the most, honestly. It was those few minutes leading up to the fight at the end of the book with a sheer momentum of things happening that we know can't be stopped. I like I don't care about the fight so much as I cared about Harry's decision to fight. I have the quote here. Do that, Ebenezer called, and I'll sink this boat right now. No, I said calmly, firmly. I swallowed and faced the old man. You won't. That decision, and then the sheer certainty of what was coming next, that was what I really liked about this scene. Harry's decision. So. Okay. okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll talk about my scene, and then you can do your favorite. Sounds good. Scene. What's the scene that you like, and, my friend? And and the reason that I only have one scene is because as I was reading through this book, like every time that I like thought about like a scene in particular being you know, like a potential favorite scene, it was just soured by the fact that in basically every scene, there was some major flaw, like in, in, in terms of the story development or, or the writing. And, and I was just so frustrated. The one scene that I, I did not feel that way uh, was... When, when they're rescuing Thomas and Harry finds the trapdoor. I loved what it said about Johnny Marconi that he kept Harry's lab intact and turned it into a jail cell. Mm. Yeah. Well, I love that you brought up John Marcone. <coughs> and I realize I have switched to calling him Marcone just because, I'm just in sheer virtue of having listened to so much of the audiobooks. Pardon me. I think I actually need to take a sip of water. One sec. All right. So my favorite scene is the one with Ethneu in her introduction, of course, but it's not Ethneu herself that makes this the best scene in the book for me. 
the brightest point of this entire scene after Ethniu has unleashed the bitch slap of ages on Mab. You know, she's introduced by the Fomor King. I cannot remember his name because he was that forgettable. Um, and she blatantly dismisses, you know, Faravax and fucking Odin. You know, just dismisses us two. There's this resounding silence. And then all we get is the click of footsteps. And you have just enough time, especially if you're listening to a slower, like, audiobook rendition. You have just enough time in this room of the most powerful creatures in all of supposed existence to wonder, oh my god. God, who has the fucking balls to approach this woman? And then it's fucking John Marcone. Calmly walking down the staircase, immaculate in his suit, perfect in his manners, completely casual, and oh so fucking swag. I can't, I'm sorry. I haven't had the opportunity to really fanboy over John Marcone because he's seriously turned into one of my favorite characters in this entire, he might be my favorite character in this entire series. The importance of John Marcone being exactly, pardon me, exactly who he is in that moment, because the think about what's happening here. The unsealy cords, accords, pardon me, were about to break. The ghouls were leaving, and this exodus was about to begin. You know, but John Marcone steps right in, head that off, keeps everyone together, keeps everyone pointed in the right direction. This whole fucking Avengers assemble scene with River Shoulders and Listens to Wind and the Svartals, that was just that followed. That was awesome, but that was all because this scene was stolen by the freaking human mobster kingpin. Like, everything about that scene in that moment was fucking phenomenal. I didn't like, the like for example, the ending of Changes. I wasn't quite that into what was happening in the moment. Charity and the gang assaulting Arctus Tor to save Molly in book eight. Not quite. Nicodemus and company outside of the Carpenter House in the very last book. Uh, close. But it wasn't as exciting in the moment as this fucking scene was for me. This, I think, was my favorite scene in the entire series. Wow, okay. But... Wow. That's and this was the scene I was in the middle of reading when I was, you know, typing to everybody in all caps. Oh my God, this is the greatest one of the books so far. Then we got McCoy versus yeah. Harry, and then the book ended like it ended, and I wasn't ready for it to end. And I was, oh, it just stopped. Oh, I see. <laughs> the book didn't end. The book. Stopped. So it was. I just stopped on a serious case of literary blue balls. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, but that was my favorite scene. John Marcone, okay. the only human in that environment, somehow stealing the whole scene. That's oh, so good. All right. Uh, well, let's head into the final Sweet. draft then. This is gonna be a short what are you one. Drinking? See here. Yeah, we're not. We only have fifty-one minutes in so far. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry. I'll start. Yeah, I keep forgetting that I start. Well, I'm also not really drinking anything in particular. Yeah, I'm drinking water. I'm just lubricating oh, okay. my organs and bringing dihydrogen monoxide, a nice polar molecule, to my body that it needs. But other than that, I mean. Nothing nothing that was worthy, definitely nothing worthy going out to, to find something for this book. If I could find a beer called sure, yeah. Blue Balls, I might have brought that, but... Yeah. Blue Balls. <laughs> okay. Alright, well, I am drinking a barrel-aged Imperial Stout. Uh, this is aged in Willet bourbon barrels and conditioned on marshmallow and peanut butter. 12.8% ABV. Uh, this is from... Oh, dang it. Who is this from? Yeah, Junkyard Brewing Company in uh, Minnesota. And I've had uh, a very similar version of this, uh, but this is the first time having this particular one. And and this one goes out to... goes out to Lara, goes out to Mab, goes out to Sarissa and Molly, goes out to Ethnew. Just every woman in the series, it, I assume? It's called Queen Size. Oh, oh. Oh, that's not what I was getting at. Okay, nice. Very nice. Yeah. 
Yeah, they have another one called King Size, and it, they're both like nice. you know, uh, the King Size one is is like you know, King Size candy bar. I feel it's that. Like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they did a, a Queen Size one, and uh, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Right on. All right. So, and thus we are finished with this book. I would rate this book a six out of ten, but only because it had moments of like nine point five in my personal enjoyment. I would not. I didn't think you would. <laughs> um, and I look forward to several yeah, extensive if messages. If I'm going out of ten, get. If, if I'm going out of ten, this is like a this is like a two or a two point five. <laughs> oh man! I well, this is this is not this is nowhere book. near that low for me. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so this has been episode one hundred fifty one of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Boom. Uh, next up, we are going to be finishing off the currently published Dresden books with Battleground. Um, we'll see how how Rob and Drew feel about that one after we. we I'll get probably like that. it more than Drew does. Uh, I I haven't started the book yet. Neither I don't I. know if you. No, nope, I've specifically yeah. been holding that one um, off. The blue balls are real at this point. Yeah, <laughs> but but I'm I'm gonna read it. I'm I'm gonna follow through. But this was a struggle. No, this re- reading sixteen books of Harry Dresden has not been easy for for Drew McCaffrey over the last few months. It's been a lot of fun for Rob, but good. Yeah, we have a healthy dichotomy. We do. Um, but yeah, so so next up, Battleground. We're gonna finish it off with a bang. Uh, as always, if you want to support the show, you can check us out on Patreon or Coffee. Uh, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yeah, right here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone.